Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to support the show, the easiest way is to donate a few bucks at buymeacoffee.com forward slash monsters. This podcast is also available on YouTube, where it's accompanied by pictures and video. There are also more videos than what's just in the podcast. You can find the channel by going to YouTube and searching This Is Monsters. This episode was meant to be a bonus episode uploaded on Valentine's Day, with another full episode released today. Unfortunately, due to a medical emergency in the family, I've made this the next episode, and the podcast will continue next week as usual. Thank you. Oscar Pistorius was a world-renowned athlete who won numerous gold medals in the Paralympics, and was one of the few para-athletes who competed in the Summer Olympics. When he thought that there were intruders inside of his house, he decided to protect himself with deadly force. This is Monsters. Oscar Pistorius was born in Johannesburg, South Africa in 1986. He was born with fibular hemomelia in both legs. It's a congenital condition where the fibula bone is missing. Since repeated corrective leg lengthening surgery can be expensive and result in residual deformity, it's most common to have the affected leg amputated. Pistorius had both of his legs amputated between his knee and his ankle when he was 11 months old. While attending Pretoria Boys High School, he was involved in multiple sports. He played rugby, tennis, water polo, and was part of the wrestling team. After a serious knee injury while playing rugby, it was suggested that he take up running while in rehabilitation. He competed in the Summer Paralympics in Athens the same year where he earned bronze in the 100-meter event. He was an ambitious athlete and was classified T-43 for the Paralympics, which was a classification for people who had double below-knee amputations. He ran in the T-44 category, which was the classification for single below-knee amputations. He would go on to win multiple gold medals in the 100, 200, and 400-meter event throughout the years in the Paralympic Games and other competitions, but what he really wanted was to compete in the Olympics. In 2007, Pistorius participated in some tests at the German Sport University Cologne, where he underwent two days of biomechanics testing. The testing was conducted by Professor of Biomechanics Dr. Peter Brugman in conjunction with Elio Locatelli, who worked for the International Amateur Athletic Federation. The IAAF is the international governing body for the sport of track and field. The testing showed that the prosthetic running blade used 25% less energy than someone who ran with natural legs. It also found that they led to 30% less mechanical work for lifting the body. Dr. Brugman reported that Pistorius, quote, has considerable advantages over athletes without prosthetic limbs who were tested by us. It was more than just a few percentage points. I did not expect it to be so clear, end quote. Due to the results, the IAAF deemed Pistorius ineligible to compete against athletes who did not have prosthetics, including the 2008 Olympic Games. Pistorius appealed the decision to the Court of Arbitration for Sports, who sided with Pistorius. 
the court deemed that Dr. Brugman only tested the athlete's biomechanics at full speed in a straight line and failed to account for any disadvantages that might be seen in acceleration from a stop. The IAAF's rule was reversed. This gave Pistorius the chance to join the South African team in the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, but he wasn't able to hit the qualifying times. This gave him four years to train so he could make the 2012 Summer Olympics in London. It paid off because he was chosen by the South African Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee to compete in the 400-meter race and the 400-meter relay. He did suffer a slight setback in training when he was involved in a boating accident in 2009. He was thrown from the boat and had to undergo surgery to repair broken facial bones. He managed to fully recover and get back to training. Pistorius failed to bring home any medals in the Olympic Games that year, but did bring home the gold medal in the 400-meter relay at the Paralympic Games that same year with a world-record-breaking time. Reva Steenkamp was born in Cape Town, South Africa in 1983. She graduated from the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University with a Bachelor of Laws degree in 2005. Steenkamp had started modeling when she was 14 years old. She was a cover girl for FHM magazine, and she was the first face of Avon Cosmetics in South Africa. After university, she worked as a paralegal while still modeling, but her goal was to become a legal advocate. Reva eventually moved to Johannesburg, where she did some work as a TV presenter and regularly worked the red carpet circuit where she was introduced to Pistorius. The beginning of their short relationship started in November of 2012. On February 14, 2013, Pistorius claimed that he thought he heard someone break into his home. He describes his home and its lack of security. Just to give you a heads up, when he says milady, he's speaking to the judge, who is a woman. In the South African court, even when you're being questioned by a lawyer, you're still always directing your answer to the judge. I walked behind Reva where she came in the room and I closed the bedroom door and I locked the bedroom door as I do every night and I put the cricket bats between the sunglasses cabinets and the door. Um, if you lay the bat down in that gap, the bat's about, about two centimeters short of being at the door. And the reason I put it with there was because the lock mechanism on the door wasn't very strong. Does the house have an alarm system? Uh, the alarm system doesn't have any door monitors. Um, but uh, the outside um, sensors are battery operated. They're not. Um, they don't work with 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 wiring. Um, so when they had painted the house in 2010, they had taken all the the eyes off the outside walls, and um, they had painted the home. And they were in the process of repainting now. So there were troubles with the alarm. He describes not being able to sleep. Um, I woke up, my lady, in the early hours of the 14th of February. It was extremely warm in my room. Um, I sat up in bed. I, Reva was... Reva was still awake, or she was obviously not sleeping. Um, 
she rolled over to me and she said, can't you sleep, my baba? And I said, no, I can't. And I got out on my side of the bed. I walked around the bed, uh, foot of the bed. I was holding onto the foot of the bed with my left hand. I got to the, the fans, where the fans were. I took the small fan, the floor fan. I placed it um, pretty much just inside the room. I then proceeded to close the sliding doors and lock them. I then drew the curtains. Because uh, at this point that I heard a window open in the bathroom, it sounded like a, the window sliding open. And then I could hear the window hit the frame uh, as if it had slipped to a point where it can't slide anymore. What, what did you think at the time, Mr. Pistorius? My lady, that's the moment that everything changed. He explains that he spoke to Riva, who was also awake before moving a fan into the bedroom, and then he heard the sound of a window being opened. So in this timeline, he has just spoken to Riva before hearing the noise, which is important to remember. I thought that there was a burglar that was gaining entry into my home. I was um, was on the side of the room where you'd first have to cross the passage, which leads to the which leads to the bathroom. I think initially I just froze. I didn't really know what to do. I'd heard this noise. I interpreted it as being somebody was climbing into the bathroom. There's no door between. The bathroom and my room, it's all one. There's a passageway, but there's no door. There's a toilet door, but there's no barrier between me and the bathroom. It's, it's one, one room. I immediately thought that um, somebody, if they were at the window to where the passage, entrance of the passage was, could be four, three, four meters. They could be there at any moment. And the first the first thing that ran through my mind was that I needed to arm myself, that I needed to protect Riva and I, that I needed to get my gun. At this point, he believes that someone is breaking into his house through the bathroom window. Now, it's not out of line to think he would be afraid of crime. South Africa has the third highest crime rate in the world out of all countries with recorded crime rates. Like most of the world, crime peaked in the mid-90s, but it has remained extremely high compared to most other developed countries. It has four cities in the top ten most dangerous cities in the world. Johannesburg regularly tops the list of the most dangerous cities in South Africa, and that's less than an hour away from Pretoria, where Pistorius was living. Not only does South Africa top the world in cases of murder, it's the country with the most cases of rape in the world, with 127.6 reported cases per 100,000 people. To compare, it's about 30 per 100,000 in the United States, about 20 per 100,000 in France, Germany has less than 10, and Spain has less than 5. He retrieved his gun from under his bed and went to investigate. We are into the passage uh, where the closet is to the um, to the bathroom. Um, it was at that point that I was just overcome with fear and I started screaming and shouting for the burglar or the intruders to get out of my house. 
I shouted for Reva to get out on the floor. I shouted for her to find the police. According to Pistorius so far, he and Reva were both awake when he heard the bathroom window open and assumed that it was someone breaking in. He got his gun and went down what he calls the passage, which is like a hallway with cabinets on each side that leads to the bathroom. The bathroom is an open area with a tub, sink, and shower stall, and there's a smaller area with a door that had a toilet in it. He says that he became so overwhelmed with fear and started screaming for the intruder to get out of his house and shouted for Riva to get on the floor and phone the police. Again, these are important details to remember. As I slowly peered into the bathroom, I could see that the window was open. saw that there wasn't anybody around the corner waiting to attack me. I retreated a little bit, maybe a step or two back. Still with my hand against the walls, I slid my back and my shoulder um, to help me balance. At this point, I started screaming again for Reva to phone the police. Um, I wasn't sure where to point the firearm. I had it pointed at the toilet, but my eyes were going between the window and the toilet. I stood there for some time. I'm not sure how long. I wasn't sure if somebody was going to come out of the toilet to attack me. I wasn't sure if someone was going to come up the ladder and point a firearm in the house and start shooting. Um, so I just stayed where I was and I kept on screaming. And, um, and then I heard a noise from inside the toilet. Um, what I perceived to be somebody coming out of the toilet. Before I knew it, I'd fired four shots at the door. My ears were ringing, I couldn't hear anything. So I shouted, I kept on shouting for Reva to phone the police. I was still scared to retreat because I wasn't sure if there was somebody on the ladder. I wasn't sure if the, there was somebody in the toilet. He gets to the bathroom and yells some more at whoever is in the toilet before shooting four rounds into the door. I don't know how long I, sta I stood there for. I shouted for Eva. At um, some point I decided to, to walk back to the room because I couldn't hear anything. My ears were ringing. I couldn't hear if there was a response or not. I didn't have the phone on me. I walked with my hand out uh, on the left-hand cupboards with my pistol still, still raised. I kept on shouting for Reva. Um, I didn't hear anything. At this point, it hadn't occurred to me uh, yet that it could be Reva in the bathroom. I still thought that there would be intruders at work. Possibly in the toilet or in, on the ladder outside the house. I retreated back to a um, point where I got to the corner of the bed. I put my hand out on the bed and I tried to lift myself up whilst talking to Reva. No one responded to me. At that point I lifted myself up onto the bed and I placed my hand back to the right hand side of the bed and I looked. Um, I, I felt if Reva was there and I couldn't feel anything. The first thing I thought was maybe that she got down onto the floor. Like I told her to, maybe she's just scared. 
I can't remember what I said, but I was, I was trying to talk out to her. I kept my firearm the whole time. I moved along the bed. I think it was at, um, at that point, my lady, that, the, that it first um, dawned upon me that it could be Reva that was in the, in the bathroom or in the toilet. I jumped out of the other side of the bed and I ran my hand along the curtains to see that she wasn't hiding behind the curtain. Felt around and made my way back up the passage. I still had my firearm in front of me. At this point, I was mixed with emotions. I didn't know if I didn't want to believe that it could be Reva inside the toilet. I was still scared that maybe somebody was coming in to attack me or us. He got back to the bed and realized that Reva wasn't there, and it dawns on him that it might have been her in the toilet. According to his own timeline, they were both awake when he moved the fan inside and closed the exterior door of the bedroom. He heard a noise and then went to investigate. According to him, the lights were off, but wouldn't he have noticed if Reva had walked to the bathroom? And then he was yelling for her, but she never answered. And while she was in the toilet, he was screaming for the intruders to get out of his house, but she didn't respond. If I'm using the toilet and my spouse starts yelling at whoever's in the bathroom to get out of their house, I'm going to yell back, it's just me, or something along those lines. I tried to grab the handle and rip open the door, push the door open, and it was locked. For the first time, I turned around uh, with my back facing the bathroom. I ran back to the room. Um, I opened the curtains. I shouted from the balcony. I opened the doors and I shouted from the balcony for help. Scream help, help, help. I screamed for somebody to help me. And then um, I put my prosthetic I put my prosthetic legs on. I ran as fast as I could back to the bathroom. I ran into the door. It didn't move at all. I leaned back and I tried to kick the door. And nothing happened. <coughs> I was I was just panicked at this point, I didn't really know what to make or what to do. Um, I ran back to the bedroom where the cricket bat was between the cabinet and the door. I ran straight up to the door and I started uh, hitting it. I, I don't, um, I think I hit it three times. Uh, the first time I hit it, I, I remember hitting um, I hit the frame of the door and the shock in my hands, so I swung again and it hit a small piece open. And at that point all I wanted to do was just look inside to see if it was Reva. And then I then hit the door, um, I think I hit the door three times and there was a big uh, plank, I grabbed it with my hands and I threw it out into the bathroom. Whilst I leant over the partition to get in, I saw the key, so I took it and I unlocked the door and I flung the door open and I threw it open. And I sat over Reva and I cried. Pistorius finally broke the door and gained entry to the toilet, where he then picked up Reva and carried her downstairs to the entryway of the home. He called for help, but the young woman had been mortally wounded. Reva had been shot first in the hip, then just above her right elbow, and then in her head. Pistorius's gun was loaded with black talon ammunition, which is a type of hollow-point bullet that's designed to mushroom out upon impact with human tissue. 
the bullet hit the right side of Reva's head and fractured her skull before entering her brain. The medical examiner said that it was most likely instantly fatal. Pistorius claimed that he had fired two double taps into the door in quick succession, but experts said that his story didn't match her wounds. If he had fired four shots rapidly, all of her wounds would have been closer together. Instead, she had a wound on her hip, then one on her arm, and then one to her head. It was clear Reva sustained her injuries as she was falling down. The prosecution said that it was likely that Reva would have screamed after the first and second shot, meaning that Pistorius would have known it was her in the bathroom. That is the version of the accused. Just two double taps. Two double taps. My lady, I tend to disagree with that. Why is that? My lady, we look at the wound sustained by the deceased. If it's two double taps, she's in a standing position. I would expect both wounds to be here. The first double tap, if it's double tap and then double tap, then all the wounds will be here on this position. Wow. There won't be any chance for the deceased to change position in that instance. It's impossible. Well, let's look at Dr. Stepp's evidence. Doof, doof, doof. That's, that's now eyewitness. Doof, doof, doof. So we don't have to believe the accused. We have a version by Dr. Stepp. Doof, doof, doof. Quick succession, and he explained it as quick succession. My lady, I still tend to yeah. that It can happen the doof, doof, doof. When referring to the second, the third, and the fourth shots. But with the first shot, what I can explain is between the first shot and the second shot, there's a break. I cannot determine how long is the break, but there's definitely a break between the first shot and the second shot. The expert claims that there is a clear break between the shot to her hip and the other two wounds at least enough time for her to scream out in pain and or fear. A neighbor, Michelle Berger, claimed that she was awoken at about 3 a.m. to the sound of a woman screaming and yelling for help, followed by four gunshots. It was moments after the shots I heard a lady screaming, terrified, terrified screaming. Um, we went out onto the balcony to see if we can ascertain where the screaming was coming from. Um, but we couldn't. We could only still see the two houses the lights were on. Uh, we then moved onto the bigger balcony as we do have a better view from there. The screaming at that stage just continued. It didn't stop during that period that we were walking out. I said to my husband, it sounds to me as if there's a family murder. Why else would a woman scream like that? Because she really sounded terrified. He then said that well, then he's going to go and help because there could be children involved. I could still hear the screaming up until the third or the second set of shots. Um, I also heard a man screaming because um, I remember saying to my husband that the husband or the man is also now screaming. I could not hear what he was screaming. I could not make out words, but it was a definite male voice. Even though they were shouting, as you say, at the same time, you could discern between the two voices? Is that yes, what you I say? Yes, there were two definite differences in the pitches of the two voices. At the same time? At the same time. Very well. Pistorius argued that the screams were from him, and when he was extremely distraught, he tended to scream like a woman. No, seriously, that was his defense. Testimony from Pistorius's ex-girlfriend also didn't help. Samantha Taylor took the stand to explain that Pistorius carried his gun with him everywhere. When the police uh, had a look, he saw the gun was on the seat, and he said to Oscar that the gun could not just be have left 
just be left on the seat there. So the policeman cocked the gun and the bullets um, flew out of the out of the gun into the car. What did he do? He shouted at the policeman because he said that he was not allowed to touch his gun. After we left there, the Oscar and Darren were pretty anxious and a little bit irritated with the policeman. And so they laughed and they said that they wanted to shoot a robot. And then Oscar shot um, a bullet out the sunroof. What did he say? They both laughed. After the police officer unloaded his gun, he got angry with the officer, so he shot out of the sunroof? There was also testimony by a friend of Pistorius's who said that the runner had fired a gun in a crowded restaurant. Another friend had handed Pistorius a gun under the table, and then a shot was fired into the floor. The friend said that the restaurant went silent, and by the time the manager had approached the table, Pistorius had convinced his friend to take the blame. He claimed that he didn't want the media attention. That happened about a month before Riva's death. The prosecutor asked Pistorius if he said anything to Riva when he heard the noise. He didn't even have to wake her up. He could have just said, did you hear that? But he said he just didn't. Samantha tells a story about another time that Pistorius heard a noise in his home. Oscar woke me up and asked me if I had heard it. And I said it must have just been from the storm. There was a storm that night. And so he got up with his gun and he walked out of the room. And then I heard his friend, his friend Matthew at the time that was staying at his house with him. He also walked out the room, but I guess everything was fine after that. But he woke you up? Yes, he woke me up. So that time, he woke his girlfriend up and asked her if she had heard anything. Text messages showed that Reva had expressed that she was scared of him, writing in one text that she was, quote, scared of you sometimes and how you snap at me and how you will react to me, end quote. In other messages, she wrote about being attacked by Pistorius and how she deserved protection from him. The prosecutor's allegation is that Pistorius and Steenkamp got into a fight where Reva ended up locking herself in the bathroom. In a rage, Pistorius retrieved his gun and shot into the bathroom door. Oscar Pistorius was charged with premeditated murder in the death of Reva Steenkamp, along with charges for discharging a firearm in the restaurant, discharging a firearm out of the sunroof of the car, and for illegal possession of ammunition. On September 12, 2014, Pistorius was found not guilty on the charge of premeditated murder, but was found guilty of culpable homicide, which is similar to manslaughter in other countries. He was also found not guilty on the firearms charge for shooting out of the sunroof and of the ammunition charge, but was found guilty of reckless endangerment for discharging a firearm in the restaurant. He was sentenced to a maximum of five years in prison for the culpable homicide conviction, plus another three-year suspended sentence for the reckless endangerment conviction. Only two weeks after the sentence was handed down, prosecutors filed an appeal to the decision to acquit Pistorius on the premeditated murder charge and convict him on a lesser charge. Their argument was that the reduction to a lesser charge would have been appropriate using the legal principle dolus eventualis whether the accused did actually foresee the outcome of his actions, rather than whether he should have. 
The prosecutors argued that the judge made a mistake when she assumed that Pistorius couldn't foresee that shooting into the door of the tiny toilet would kill or injure someone. Whether or not he knew Reva was in there was irrelevant. He knew that shooting four shots into the small area was likely to kill or injure whoever was inside. By the time the appeal was decided, Pistorius had already been released on good behavior. He was released into house arrest on October 19, 2015, and the court changed his conviction from culpable homicide to murder on July 6, 2016. The judge increased his sentence to six years and Pistorius was sent back to prison. The prosecutors went back to the Court of Appeals, this time appealing the length of the sentence. They argued that a six-year sentence was too short for a murder charge and the Court of Appeals agreed. On November 24, 2017, they increased his sentence to 15 years. After time served, that left him with 13 years and 5 months. He will be eligible for parole in 2023. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again.